So the series that we're in is called Stand Firm, and the whole idea is helping us figure out not what just to watch out for, right? We're constantly being bombarded by, as we talked last week, lies and, and what's the truth of God's word. So we watch out for them so that we can stand firm. And one of the best ways I know how to do that is for you to have this. Mentioned it last week that would love for you to have your Bibles with you every Sunday this month. If you don't have your Bible, I've got a couple options for you. One, get out your phone, go to get the Version Bible app. Great app, have the Bible at your fingertips. You can still take notes, highlight all sorts of different things. If you don't have a Bible, right out where the cafe is where you go and get your coffee is guest services where you can also get a Bible that's on us. Same translation I use that you'll see on the screen so you can follow right along. So if you need a Bible, please don't say, I don't have one because literally I'm handing them out for you. So make sure you have a Bible either on your device, in hand, or grab one on your way out today. We'll make sure that you have what you need. 1 Peter chapter 5, follow along with me. Verse 8 says this, stay alert. It's the whole point of this series. Stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So that's what we watch out for. That's why we need to stay alert. Keep your guard up because the devil, our enemy, is looking to devour us. But here's the other side of that, verse 9. So stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Both of those parts of the equation are important. What do we need to watch out for? What do we need to stay alert for? What's the devil doing? What are his schemes? How does he attack us? Who is he? So we need to watch out, but we also need to pay attention to how we can stand firm against him. So last week we recognized that the devil is also called the liar or the deceiver. And we saw the story of him in the garden with Adam and Eve and how he lied to pull them away from God as a liar. Today, we're going to see that he is the tempter, the one that uses temptation as a means to once again, pull us away from God. So let's pray. We'll dive right in. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what we can learn and how we can grow and how we can, can, can hear not just from you, but hear how to move closer to you. So God, I pray that the prayer we prayed earlier would still be on the front of our hearts and minds. God, what's my next step? As we listen to your word, as we open our eyes and ears and our hearts to you, would you speak to us individually in Jesus' name? Amen. So growing up, high school, more so like 16, 17, 18 years old, once I got a driver's license, um, I would get invited to go do a lot of things with friends or, or go and do things with coworkers at work. And anytime I'd come back to my house and I would tell my parents, I got invited to go fill in the blank, whatever it might be. My parents always had what they called the list. And it went something along these lines. I would come home and say, mom, dad, hey, so-and-so invited me to go too. Can I go? And their response was always, well, yes, of course, but we need to go through the list first. And if you're 16, 17, 18 years old, you get the, oh, not the list again. But they did the list and the list would go something like this. They would ask these questions about in this order. Who are you going with? What will you be doing? Where will you be going? Who else could possibly be there? When will you be home? Like all of those questions. And as that 16-year-old, I'd be like, I hate the list. Can I be honest for a second? Now with my kids, we are so going to have that list when they start going out with friends. Like I'm like, that was gold, mom and dad. I haven't told them that yet, and maybe they're watching. If so, that was gold, mom and dad. But it's good because Why? because they wanted to have some information on what I'm invited to. Now I'll tell you, as they went through their list, if I said to any of those questions, I don't know, 
because that's what we sound like when we're 16, 17, and 18. I don't know. <laughs> when, if I were to say, I don't know, to any of those questions, you know what their response would have been? Great. You can't go. <laughs> or find out, and then we can talk about you going, we'll go through the list one more time. There's no way I was going to be able to go wherever I was invited to go if they didn't just have answers to the list, but answers that they liked to that list. It's important though, isn't it? We're constantly invited. That's really what temptation is. That's what the devil does as the tempter. We see that if you were in a study on your own this week, read Matthew chapter four. You're going to see the tempter personally tempt Jesus himself. And you're seeing it constantly just be an invitation. That's what temptation is. Temptation is an invitation to sin. So we're constantly throughout our day and constantly throughout our lives being invited to sin. We're invited, well, why don't you go and do this? And why don't you do this? Why don't you say that? Why don't you look at this? Why don't you choose this? Why don't you think this? And it's a constant invitation to do something against God. Just to be clear, sin literally means missing the mark. It means going against God. God says this, we don't do that, we do something else. It's a rebellion against God. So the devil, as the tempter, is constantly inviting us to do all things contrary to God. All things that would be sin. An invitation to sin. So that's what we need to watch out for. Right? That's what we read in 1 Peter 5, 8. Stay alert, watch out. Because the devil is looking to devour you. He devours us through lies. Looked at that last week. He also devours us through temptations, these invitations to go against God, to do something against God or to sin. Now, let me just say this. There's no possible way to avoid all of temptation. That's just not possible. Now, yes, we can do some things that limit the temptations. If you are on a diet, don't walk into a Dunkin' Donuts. Like, that would make sense. Don't put yourself in that situation. But we are still going to be tempted. The devil's constantly going to put invitations in front of us all the time. So the question I'd rather is ask, once again, what we read out of 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, is let's pay attention and stay alert and watch out for these temptations, the invitations to sin. But let's figure out how to stand firm against him as the tempter and against the temptations as well. So what do we watch out for? But we also have to ask, how do we stand firm against it? You cannot expect to go through life just completely avoiding all temptation. So how do we stand firm against them? That's what we're going to focus on. If you got your Bibles, be in James chapter 1. We're going to be there basically the rest of the morning. And I'll give you just a heads up. As we're going through this section in James, it's just a handful of verses. We're going to move really, really slow through them. There's so much in here. We've really got to talk through it. But I want you to pay attention to these two parts. What is James telling us to watch out for, and how is James helping us learn how to stand firm against the temptations? What to watch out for, how to stand firm. That's what we're going to be looking at. James chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Again, we're going to go slow. And remember, he says, remember when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. This is a really important distinction here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but he brings it up, so we're definitely going to bring it up. He says, God is not the tempter. That's the devil, and we're going to even see where else it comes from within us as well. But God does not tempt us. Now, if you read earlier in James, go back to the first part of James chapter 1, you see that God does test us. So there's a very big difference between testing or trials, difficult circumstances, and temptation. In fact, read James 1. You'll see that these tests, these difficult situations in our life, 
They actually grow our faith. They build our faith. It's through the fire that our faith is refined and it's grown. We actually become deeper in our faith, becoming more dependent on Jesus through times of trial and testing. Does God test us? Yes. Is every difficult situation in your life a test from God? No, of course not. But does he use tests and trials in our life? Absolutely, to build our faith. James makes a point. That's not the same as temptation. God will not tempt you. He is not the tempter. Does that make sense? Not if you understand the difference between the two, or at least you heard the difference between the two. Close enough. I'll take it. So we understand a little bit of the difference between a test and a temptation. Test builds your faith. The purpose of a temptation is to unwind your faith. So he says there's a difference there. Verse 14, he's going to focus on temptation. Temptation, though, comes from our own desires. Temptation comes from our own desires. We saw this when we looked at uh, the story of the garden last week, where there was a desire, and what did the devil do? He leveraged it. He dangled it in front of them. He got them to focus on their desires. He does the exact same thing for us as well. In fact, I've heard the phrase desires described as a traitor inside each and every one of us. Man, I love that because it's so true. It's this traitor inside each and every one of us that can talk us into just about anything. These desires that we have, these sinful desires that we have to go against God, it's this inner something inside of us that says, that does seem like a good idea. When on the outside, you're like, why did I ever do that? that if you ever said that phrase, like, why would I ever? Or why did I ever? Oh, it's that traitor inside of us, rationalizing, making excuses for, justifying just about anything is why we know this. This is a fact that we all, we don't always live by, but we know it. We never go shopping when hungry because of the traitor inside of us. <laughs> you walk into Kroger, walk into Walmart, you walk into the grocery store and it's, I just need a couple things and then I'm going to go home and make dinner. So you walk in, you don't even need a cart. You don't even need the small little bitty cart. You don't even need the handheld deal because you're just going to pick up two things. And you walk in, and as you're going down the aisle, you're like, oh, I need all of this. <laughs> so you start grabbing things off the shelf. That sounds good, or I'll have that. Ooh, that'll be good for later. And you came to get two things, but because you went in hungry, the desires got the best of you, and you walk out with an armful of stuff because the desires talked you into it. It seemed like a good idea at the time. I ran into this and lived this this last week. My wife, Becky, she was out for a women's Bible study this last Wednesday night, which means dad is in charge. And we have a lot of fun with that. Becky and I both, we date our kids. So we have mommy nights and we have daddy nights. So this last Wednesday was a daddy night. Trying to be a super cool dad. I'm like, guys, you've been awesome. They've been doing swim lessons. They've been doing all sorts of stuff with summer. I was like, let's go get a special treat. Mom's out. I want to be the favorite. So I'm going to take you to go get an ice cream at Kroger. I said, we'll just get one big thing of ice cream and we'll just chow down on ice cream and watch a movie tonight. So we go to Kroger, hungry. First problem. And with three kids. I mean, both of those are bad ideas. So we walk into Kroger. Walk into Kroger and we head to the frozen food section where the ice cream's at. And all of a sudden, all three of my kids all, I, this is shocking. I didn't know this would ever have happened. They never agreed on the same ice cream. I couldn't believe it. I said, I thought we could totally compromise and work this out. No. So they talked me into getting not one carton of ice cream, but three different ones for each of them to pick their own. So they all pick their own. I'm like, okay, I am a cool dad. It is daddy night. And I'm noticing the ice cream that they pick. And I'm like, I don't like any of these. 
My youngest, Collins, she picked unicorn swirl. <laughs> no, that's not an ice cream I'm going to eat. So I look at all of them. You know what my inner trader said? I'm going to get my own. I've already gotten three. What's one more? So I, I get the fourth carton. So we all have our cartons of ice cream, and we start heading to the front to pay. And ugh, Kroger, they know this. They lean into this. In fact, that's how they make their money is talking to our inner trader. Because do you know what they put? If you've been in Kroger recently, do you know what is in the very front of the store right now? It is a massive display of fireworks. So we start walking out with each of our own tubs of ice cream. And then one of my kids says, hey, it's daddy night. We should get ice cream and fireworks. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think I've ever said that in a sentence before. But you know what? It sounded like a good idea at the time. So we get all of our ice cream and we load up on fireworks for daddy night and go and pay. And then later on, my wife, she does come home and she sees ice cream everywhere and fireworks. And, and she's like, what were you thinking? And my response is probably what you would think. I have no idea. I mean, they just talked me into it. It, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Four tubs of ice cream and fireworks. It's amazing what our desires will get us into. It's amazing what our desires can talk us into. They will help us justify, rationalize, and make every excuse in the book where it seems like a good direction to go. So those temptations that the devil will leverage, that he will dangle in front of us, they are from our own desires. I told you we're going to go slow. Here's the next part. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us, entice us, now, literally, that word or that phrase, entice us, it's a fishing term. And y'all that have been here long enough know how much I love fishing. That's a lot of sarcasm for you that are new around here. I don't love fishing, but that's what this is referring to. It, it literally means allure with bait. So if you throw a hook in the water, it's not very enticing for any smart fish whatsoever. There's nothing about a hook that's appealing. So what do we have to do? We have to put a lure on it. We have to hide the hook with bait which is exactly what entice us means. The tempter will dangle a desire in front of you in hopes that it will entice you, that you won't see the hook hidden underneath, but you will be enticed to go after it. Now, here's what's interesting about fishing and with bait and lures. So I've heard is if you want to catch different fish, you have to use different bait. That's why there's all kinds of different lures and different bait, because if you want to catch a specific kind of fish, you have to use what's enticing to that fish. So here's what James is saying to all of us fish out in the room and online today, is what's enticing to you may not be enticing to me. What's a temptation for me may not be a temptation for you. We are uniquely, uniquely wired with specific desires which means the devil as the tempter is very crafty and what he dangles in front of you versus what he dangles in front of me versus somebody else. It's enticing. It will be different for you versus others. Still a desire, but those desires very well can be different because it's based on what's enticing to you, what will get you to turn, right? The desire has to be enticing in order for you to go after it. Here's the next part. Temptation comes from your own desires, which entice us and drag us away. This is the part that causes distance, right? Think of the progression here of there's a desire, a traitor inside of me that the devil is leveraging to tempt me. 
The enticement gets my focus. Ooh, shiny object. (laughs) Now I begin to move towards it and then dragged away. And all the while, I'm being, there's distance being put between me and God. There's not just distance, there's a separation between me and God. And that's the whole point of what the devil's trying to do. Put distance between, put a separation between you and your heavenly father. That's why we talk a ton about next steps. Are you tired of me saying it yet? I think I've said it three or four times already today. But this is why, like, understand the heart behind it. The reason we talk about that all the time, the reason I mention it all the time, or I feel like I do it all the time, at least maybe I need to do more, is because of this. We have these desires that are enticing, that steal our focus away. And then we begin to take next steps towards our desires, being dragged away that puts space and distance and separation between us and God. The only way I know to push against that is to consciously ask the question, how do I take next steps towards you, Jesus? How do I keep taking next steps to become more dependent on you? If we don't ask that question, we will naturally take steps towards our desires. And I pray that we would wake up every single day. God, what's my next step in following you today? God, what does it look like for me to become more dependent on you today? God, how do you want to use me today? God, what do you want to do in my life today? God, what do I need to add in my life today? God, what do I need to take away in my life today? Constantly taking next steps towards him because you can't do both. You can't walk in two different directions at the same time. And without asking that question, we will continue to be dragged away by our desires because they are most definitely enticing. Here's this next part. The most sobering part as well. So our desires, our temptations, our desires, they entice us and drag us away. Verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. It's interesting that James uses the word birth two times here. He's going to use it a little bit later. We'll see that next. But in this section, he's using it twice. And and for me, when I think of the word birth, I think of my kids being born and the joy that came with it, the celebration that came with it, the, the happiness that came with it. The life change that came with all the great things about becoming a parent and seeing the miracle of life and and seeing those kids brought into the world. Like there's so much joy there, not to mention how cute they were, are. Maybe I should have continued that in the present tense. Now they're always cute. They're babies. They're cute. They're my kids. So of course they're cute. Whether you think they're ugly or not, no, they're they're the most adorable kids on the planet. And that's usually where our mind goes when we think of birth and the joys of life. But here he gets a totally different perspective on it. And it feels very abrupt where I'm thinking about the joys of my kids and how cute they are. And he says, but then it leads to death. It's like, whoa, James, what just happened? Why are you using birth and death in the same sentence? It says, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Let me say this. He's not exaggerating. He's not making a point, like he's being literal. When sin is allowed to grow, it creates space between us and God and it leads to death. The thing that seemed really cute, that desire that didn't seem like a big deal, that temptation that no one else really knows about, the desire that doesn't seem to be hurting anybody else, it's cute, it's innocent, it's no big deal, it's just me, all of a sudden has now led me down the path that leads to death. See, James is trying to get us to to get our head out of the sand. Like, look up, pay attention, watch out. Do you see where your desires are taking you? 
A few weeks ago, um, Becky and I, we took our kids to, to hike Amicalola Falls. I did not expect them to actually do the stairs, but we get there, they see it like, oh, this is awesome. We can totally do the stairs. And I said, there's two rules. Whatever goes up must come back down. And when it goes up and down, I don't carry either of them. <laughs> so if you go up, that's great, but you're walking on your own two feet and we all have to come back down. I'm not driving up there to pick you up and you have to walk down as well. Like, no, no, we got it. We can do this. And they did awesome. All three of my kids, man, they just, they just did a great, Becky and I were in the back like, ah, oh, we'll catch up, keep going. <laughs> so we finally get up to the very top and they loved it. It's gorgeous. If you've never been there, of course you should go. It's a wonderful, beautiful hike. You see the falls. It was great. And as we're walking, just kind of exploring the top part of the falls, I saw a very good teachable moment as we were hanging out, having lunch, and the picnic table was close to the stream. And I said, kids, would it be a good idea to play in the stream right there? Because they play in a lot of water. We go to the lake. They're good swimmers. We're in the pool a ton. Like, so it would be normal for them to just go splash and jump around and play in that stream. I said, would it be a good idea to play in that stream? And my oldest says, no. I'm like, are you, is that a question or are you certain on that one? <laughs> I said, no, you're right. Of course not. Because where does that stream lead, guys? Over the waterfall. I said, now, you guys are good swimmers. You wouldn't mean for it to happen, but if you started playing in this part of the stream and you weren't paying attention, you just kept going downstream, eventually you would fall off the falls and die. So you got it. We're not going to play in the water, right? <laughs> and they're like, no, Dad, no, no, we won't touch, we won't look at the water. I'm like, good. <laughs> then my oldest, bless his heart, I think I've scarred him. He looks at me, he said, he said do all streams lead to a waterfall? <laughs> I said, yes. <laughs> no, I explained, sort of. I said, but we're always careful, right? Because, you know, it would have been an innocent accident. Nobody intended to go off the side of the falls. Oh, but I'm just playing in the stream. It's really calm right here. You're not paying attention. It takes you downstream, and eventually, where does it lead you? My grandparents used to have one of these. I don't even know if they exist anymore. You know those old uh, the insect lights that killed them? They zapped them, the zappers? You remember these things? Dude, those things were awesome. Like, I probably understand why they don't exist anymore, people putting fingers in there or whatever else. But they were great. You'd be sitting inside having dinner, and you just zap, zap, and just like these crackles. And like, oh, yes, it's a massacre of flies. It's like, it's awesome. But the whole point of it, it works because why? It entices. It draws you in. And it kills you without even realizing it. I'm not exaggerating James's words here. Our temptations desires, entice us, they drag us away, and it leads to death. Notice this progression here. Starts with desires, that little inner traitor inside of us. I want something, right? It starts with a desire, leads to a decision. See, a temptation in of, of itself is not a sin. It's when we begin to act on it. So we make the decision to follow it. That's the enticement. From the decision, now there's distance, because I continue to lead this way, as, as James says, it drags us away. So now there's distance between me and God. And if the pattern follows, if the journey through desires follow, it will lead to death, he says. See, I, I think it really does start out innocent or at least recognizing it's not a big deal or thinking it's not a big deal. I don't think anybody begins a career planning on eventually stealing from the company and getting fired, maybe even going to jail. I don't think it'd be plans for that to happen. I don't think anybody gets married planning on cheating on their spouse and then getting a divorce. I don't think anybody 
gets a family and has kids and begins to love on this family and then plans to neglect them because of work and a work schedule. I don't think anybody receives a paycheck and plans for that paycheck to control and dictate their entire life. I don't think anybody goes shopping and plans to dig themselves in a huge hole of debt. See, I don't think we plan for the consequence. We're not expecting, no, 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 it's just, a, it's just a one-time thing. It's just, it's not hurting anybody. But notice the progression and the path that begins with our desires. It's enticing. It's no big deal. It begins to drag us away more and more distance from God. And eventually, there's a devastating consequence. See, if we're honest, I think we minimize the reality and the destructiveness of sin our own sin especially, but sin in general as well. And James is saying, wake up. Or out of the words of 1 Peter, watch out, stay alert. But let's not miss the other side. So that's what we watch out for. We watch out for our desires. But how do we stand firm against the tempter? Here's the next part. Because James changes tones. He, he changes where it was this, if sin grows, it leads to death, and like all this, like, whoa, that's super heavy, convicting. <laughs> and then he changes his tone. Look at what he says next in verse 16. Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Oh, I love that. You can almost like hear the compassion coming from James. Don't be misled, my friends. Don't be misled, my family. Don't be misled, brothers and sisters in Christ. What are we not to be misled by? What's the deception? Obviously, he's talking about desires, but we just said earlier in talking about the enticement of our desires that we're all tempted in different ways. We all have different desires. So what's the one commonality amongst all of our sinful desires? What is the main temptation, if you were to boil it all down? That's what James is getting at. So regardless of how you're tempted, regardless of the desires in you, regardless of what's enticing to you or not enticing to you, there's one thing that misleads us all. And here it is, the lie of desire, as I would call it. Here's the lie, that God is not good and that your way is better. All of our desires believe that lie. It's just this, and God says that, but... He's not as good as he thinks he is. He's not as good as he says he is. My way is better. And the devil does a phenomenal job of making it look enticing and better. But every single one of our desires are based in that lie, that God is not good and that our way is better. So James says, don't believe that. Regardless of what your desires are saying to you, regardless of what the temptation or the invitation is, don't be misled, which is why he says this next part. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Verse 17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all of creation, became his prized possession. Church, my dear brothers and sisters, God is good. Every good and perfect thing is a gift from him to us. 
So when that enticing desire is dangled in front of us, it looks appealing. But we hold on to the truth that, no, God is good. God's way is better. And even though that looks appealing, I'm going to choose to trust him in his ways. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We saw where the path of desire goes. Leads in the complete opposite direction. Now, here's what James doesn't do. And I'm so thankful for this because it's not helpful. He doesn't say, so just do better and try harder. Hello? <laughs> like, that's nowhere in here, is it? Here's what our desires do, and here's how they lead us, and here's how they drag us away, and it all leads to death. He's like, no, nowhere in here is, okay, so here's how you stand firm. Here's what you watch out for. Here's how you stand firm. Just try really, really, really hard. No, it's not a try hard and do better. It's a focus on the goodness of God, a radical, constant, continual focus on the goodness of God. Yes, be aware of our desires and where they lead us, but what do we do to stand firm? We focus on the goodness of God. Whatever is good and perfect, recognize that's a gift coming down from God to us. And look at this, and out of all of creation, he chose us as his prized possession. That's where our mind goes. That's where our thoughts are fixed. That's where our eyes are set and our heart is pointed towards. Is always the goodness of God. Always the goodness of God. I brought my plant, well, one of our plants from uh, the back patio. Um, I have a few responsibilities in our house. One of them is uh, like outdoor lawn slash plant things. Um, so let me just ask, you probably can't see very well in the back, but would you describe this plant as thriving and healthy? No. No, you <laughs> took a little bit there. What do you think? Thriving, healthy, or maybe a little bit withered? A little, just a little bit. Not bad, right? We won't tell Becky. What do you think? How's the plant look? Does it look super nice, super good? He's like, I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble. No, of course not. You look at this and, and it doesn't look very healthy. It doesn't look like it's thriving. It's not dead though. Like there's still some green leaves. So it's still alive, which is good. But it most certainly is starting to wither. It's not looking very healthy. Most certainly we would not describe this as thriving. But what's been missing? Like just take a, just take a stab in the dark and a guess. What have I probably failed to do over the last, eh, three to 10 days. Water it. Exactly right. I probably failed, probably, hypothetically speaking, it's just for an illustration, of course. Probably I've forgotten to water the plant, which then causes it to begin to die. Here would be my question for each of you. Does this look more like your desires? Still there, still alive. We, again, we can't totally get rid of them, but they're kind of withered and shriveled up. Like, they're not very healthy. Would we describe our desires that way? Or does this describe our faith? Still there, but not very healthy, not thriving. There's not a lot to it. In fact, it's on its way to just straight up being dead. See, what James is getting at here is it all has to do with where your focus is going to be. See, if you want to have something healthy and thriving, good or bad, you feed it. We know this, right? So if you want to focus on the goodness of God, if you want to have a growing and healthy faith that's growing deeper and more dependent on Jesus, rather than having desires run your life, you starve your desires and you feed your soul. What do you feed your soul? The truth of God 
the word of God. Starve your desires, feed your soul with the word of God. That's what James is getting at. He's saying focus on the goodness of God. And when we focus on the goodness of God, our desires, the temptations will still be there. But those desires will not have as strong of a hold on us. They will start to wither versus our faith will be strong and vibrant and healthy and thriving. Romans even speaks to this. Let me read this real fast for you. Romans chapter 8 tells us this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Makes sense. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, guess what? Think about the things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Old Testament version of that, Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I cannot go two different directions. I cannot follow the desires and follow the word of God. So which will it be? Which will we starve and which will we feed? How do we do that? How do we starve our desires and feed our spirit? That's what we get to learn in here. That's why I say bring this every single week. A couple basic ones that would be a great place for you to start. Grow your prayer life. Spend more time in your prayer life. Read, study, memorize God's word. If you want something to memorize that has to do with what we're talking about here, memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That'd be a good one to write down. Start there. Easy one to memorize. If you want something to read this week, men especially, Proverbs chapter 7. It'd be a great place to start. You're going to see James's kind of path of destruction and desire. You'll see it played out in Proverbs chapter 7. Find a spot and start reading and discovering the goodness of God, the boundaries that God puts in place so that we can feed our spirit and starve our desires. I want to leave you with this, and I'll give you something to think through. Colossians chapter 2. Listen to the goodness of God here. You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you say it with me. What did he make us? Alive. Do you understand what that means there? That we were dead because of our sins on the path to destruction. And here Jesus shows up and says, no, 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 not my child, not my son, not my daughter. I will make you alive. So we were dead, but then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I love this next part. We've been talking about the, the evil uh, forces that are against us, right? We read that out of Ephesians chapter 6 last week. Look at this. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That's what the blood of Christ does for us. That's what he did on the cross. He didn't just take away our sins. No, he rescued us. And he shamed all the evil spiritual rulers. Say, no, not my kid and not today. So maybe you've been on this path of desires and you kind of recognize that now. It's easy for the tempter to also be the accuser that says, oh, there's too much distance between you and your Lord. He'll never have you back. Oh, and we go back to the liar, which we talked about last week. Hold on to this passage. You were dead because of your sins, but God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of your sins. 
wanna give you an opportunity to have a moment to reflect on the condition of your soul and the condition of your own desires that are dragging you away. At home and right here, if you'd close your eyes with me for a moment, I wanna give you a few things to begin to think through and reflect on. First, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Or is he just somebody that you think about at times? Lord and Savior means you've given your heart and your life to him and you've invited him into your heart. Mess and all, sins and all. He's the Savior because we need a Savior. You start there. Maybe he's your Savior, but you've been walking down the path of desire for a while and something needs to change because your faith is starting to look like a withered plant and your desires are wreaking havoc in your life. What's your next step towards Jesus? Focus on the goodness of God through your own Bible study, your own Bible reading, through serving, through giving, through praying. What happens, what do you think would happen in your life if maybe just this week you did nothing in your car wise, you just listened to worship music? Turn the radio off and we've got a playlist on Spotify. Maybe you just listen to worship music all week. I wonder what that would do to feed your spirit this week. But ask God, what's your next step? What do you need to add? What do you need to take away? How do you move towards him and away from your desires? so that your spirit grows in him. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you a mess. We've got a little traitor inside of us that continually is inviting us to move away from you. So may we see the reality of sin and, and of our own sin and the distance and separation and destruction that it causes in, in our relationships with you and, and everybody else as well. May we never believe the lie that you are not good, but believe wholeheartedly in the goodness of you and that your way is always better. Jesus, would you speak to our hearts today and move us in next steps towards you? Because our entire life is built on you, not our own desires and not anything else. May we put our heart, our mind, our thoughts, and our eyes, may they be solely focused on you, Jesus. In your name.